Hello, Hyrock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're coming to now what may be, along with the uh, passing through the Red Sea, might be the most famous part of the Exodus. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments. The people have gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai. God is now going to present the law to them or the instructions to them. And we are going to be slowing down here a bit and taking one at a time. So we are in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, where we read this. Then then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is the first of the Ten Commandments, uh, but it begins with what some people consider a prologue, but... um, uh, my understanding is that uh, Jewish people largely regard this entire thing as as one commandment, not a separate prologue. And the idea here is that, you know, God says, I am or Yahweh is Lord. So it's not the gods of Egypt. It's not the you know golden calf, a spoiler alert there. Um, and it's not just obey me because I'm the most powerful being in the universe, more powerful than Pharaoh. I think people often think that that God is God or God is to be obeyed because God is at the top of some type of ladder of power. He's at the top of the hierarchy, and so therefore we should obey. But the way God presents it here is that, you know, and this is like what we talked about yesterday, that obedience is to be a response to God's grace, that God has acted generously to us. He says, basically, God is saying here, I am the one who has loved you. Yahweh is the God who has given grace to you freely, rescued you from Egypt. You didn't do anything for me at that point. You hadn't had even had a chance to obey a law. I acted graciously toward you before there even was a law for you to obey. And so this, these commandments are going to be part of um, basically instructions on how to be a part of God's family, how to accept and respond to the grace that God offers to us. And so this is how it's going to work. So in, in you know, today's uh, language. Maybe God might say to us, I am the Lord God who brought you up out of sin and out of self-centeredness, out of death and into life. I'm the God who has destroyed the enemies of, of sin and death. And if you want to return my love, if you want to live in my love, then then you will live this way. You will do these things. And so the first of those things is you shall have no other gods before me. Now, some people consider this kind of like uh, evidence of petty jealousy. God's really jealous in a petty way. But, you know, we, those of us who are married, we take marriage vows where we say that we will forsake all others. That's not petty jealousy. That's just simply um, the, the boundary that needs to be set in order for faithfulness to thrive in a loving relationship, a covenantal relationship. And so here Israel is entering into a covenantal relationship that throughout the scriptures in many ways will be compared to marriage. And so this is similar to like taking a marriage vow where we promise to be faithful to our spouses and forsake all others. I think there's an additional reason here, and this is me just, you know, kind of making an educated guess or getting a sense from um, what I understand from the rest of scripture. And, and that is that in, in, in God's case, there's a, there's part of it that, Part of what's going on here is that this is good for us. It's not just that God needs something from us, that that somehow God can't live without our love or something like that. But rather, all false gods are, by definition, false, and, and they are destructive. And, and, you know, if you follow a lie, eventually it leads to an ugly 
place. And historically, for the people of Israel, one of the ugly places it led uh, was historically to child sacrifice. They began to worship their the foreign gods in the ways that those gods were worshipped, and that included the sacrifice of their children. And God's love is meant to elevate us because we are created in God's image, but sin corrupts and devalues us and others. You know, a, a, maybe a modern example I might think of like is if your image, if excuse me, if your idol is Andrew Tate, you know, this uh, hotbed of toxic masculinity, then you're going to become more like him over time. And if you begin, you know, you will begin to resemble your idols in essence, and their values will start to become yours. And you know, as a parent, you would be right to be very concerned. For instance, if one of your children idolized someone like Andrew Tate. And God here would be very right to be concerned if we should worship false gods, because God knows where that's going to lead us. You know, you become what you worship, or at least you begin to head in that direction. So it's not that God is a God of petty jealousy demanding that, you know, we get he, he gets all of our attention, but rather that God wants the best for us, wants this loving relationship with us, this faithful relationship. You know, uh, I had one professor once said, like, you know, if, 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 focusing on what is best helps bring out the best in you, then imagine if God like looked around the universe and said, what would be the best thing for my children to focus on? What would be the thing that would elevate them the most and inspire them the most? And, you know, God doesn't then look around and say, well, oh, shucks, it's me. No, God doesn't have that kind of false humility. God knows that the created order is all less than, than who God is. And so God points us to him because that's what's truly going to elevate us and because we've been created in God's image in the first place. So I see this all in the context of having uh, being invited into a loving covenantal relationship of faithfulness. God has already acted faithfully towards the people of Israel and towards us today. And the invitation is for us to reciprocate, to enter into that same kind of relationship so that we can have this wonderful, life-giving, uplifting relationship with God. So I see this as, as the foundation and the first instruction of the Ten Commandments. Dave, I'm wondering what you uh, see here. Well, you know, building on what you're saying, um, I think there's really two frames, and you kind of allude to both of them. There's two frames in which to see that that what we think of as the prologue, uh, you know, in in uh, in the NLT, it's verse two. Um, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Okay, two then two ways that that might work. The one is saying, hey, I'm I'm the one who saved you. Yeah, it was me. Just in case there's any, it was me. So obviously you guys would want to trust me because look, I've proven I care for you. I've proven I'm trustworthy. You know, and, and so basically what what follows then is this is what it looks like to have a healthy relationship. And I heard you saying that. Uh, this, this, these 10 things are going to talk about what does it look like to be in a life-giving relationship with this God who loves you so much. Uh, and I think already that's kind of a, in a way that we don't normally think of, that's a little bit countercultural, not, not a little bit, it's a lot of it countercultural uh, for the time because uh, you know, the, the gods of the pagans, of, of the nations surrounding them, uh, did not care about them. And, uh, and in fact, generally, they created chaos, all right? And, and sort of humans were just caught up in the, the kind of, I don't know, the outcroppings of, of, of all the kind of chaos that the gods created. Whereas the, the real God contains the chaos and cares for humans. Uh, and, and I think that, that that's such a radically different story. So 
we can hear that here. And then God's giving these commandments, not as, hey, you, you know, like you guys are nothing. You guys are dirt. Do what I say. Uh, it, it's not that at all. It's this invitation to intimacy. So I think that the relationship frame, which you highlighted, is exactly the right way to see this. A different way to see this would be God saying, hey, I rescued you out of the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. Now, let me tell you how not to fall into slavery again. Because slavery was, you know, Egypt was just the place of your slavery. That You happen to be enslaved there, but you can be enslaved anywhere. And goodness knows, you know, you know, we talk about America being the land of the free, and yet I would argue that almost, surely the majority of people are enslaved. We are enslaved to our addictions, we're enslaved to our passions, we're enslaved to sensuality, we're enslaved to money, right? We're enslaved to ideologies, all this stuff, that we are so easily taken captive. And the reality is, is that so often we choose our captivity. And so God is just saying, hey, I'm going to show you how to stay free. And, and the way to do that, the first thing is you cannot have any other God. What was a God? A God is the one that you trust in for protection, for provision, for life, for direction, right? If you trust in any of those other things, money or a politician or, a, you know, just a, a general life ideology, a, a, a you know, a person, a, a, whatever else you trust in for those things, you are going to get in trouble. And, and I actually even think, you know, right now our, our church is in the middle of a big conversation about the fact, hey, we're struggling financially. And I think it's at these moments we so easily can become slaves to fear or we start to believe that God and money are the same thing, that we, we actually start to worship money. And we believe money is the answer to our problems, that money is the cause of our problems, You know, rather than going, what? No. God has all the money in the world. That's not an issue. That's not. That's nothing. Our our worship is with is of God. God is the one who can deliver us. God can protect us. Will God use money to do that or another way? Whatever. That's God's choice. But we will not trust in our own cleverness to solve these problems. We will not solve in our resources to solve these problems. We will not trust in finances to solve these problems. We're going to use our resources and our cleverness and our money to serve God but then trust God to lead us in places that we might not even have known we wanted to go. That to me is all a part of the way that daily we get challenged to have no other gods before him because it's just so easy for us. And again, we think, well, I don't, I've never, I'm not going to build a little, you know, statue in my house and pray to it. Uh, yeah. Some of us have one parked in our garages though, right? Or a very expensive one on our wrists or, you know, we, we see one every time we look in the mirror, you know, we try to, or we're worshiping our outward appearance, we're trusting in it. I just think there's so many false gods that we can trust in that can seem, because because they are often gifts that God has given us, they can seem like things that, you know, it's really faithful to, to appreciate this thing, to use, rely on this thing, to use it. And if you're using it as, hey, this is the expression of God's care for me, great, that can be a wonderful thing. But as soon as you start to trust it more than you trust God, such that you would disobey God in order to obey the needs, the mandates, the imperatives of this other person, this other thing, this other status, whatever, that's when you know that you've crossed over into idolatry. 
And, and I think more of us are there more of the time than we are aware. I, I totally agree. And I think um, sometimes the temptation is to think that our false gods are going to be something that is something that's negative. But I think a lot of people turn their families into a false god or their marriage or even even their church. Uh, your church could become a false god if it takes the place of, uh, if it becomes the thing that you think, like you said, is going to be the thing that is going to give you good life and direction uh, more than even God himself. And so I think all those uh, good things, it's kind of like Dante's Inferno. They're like different kinds of sin that are disordered kinds of love. And to love something less more than you love something greater, to love it out of proportion, that itself would be a kind of a, a false idol as well. And it, because it's subtle, I think a lot of people do this with country, with patriotism, that we we end up having our country, our nation as our our God rather than than the true God, or we equate the two. And, and that leads to all kinds of negative places. That's right. And it's not that a Christian can't love their country. That actually can be a wonderful thing. If you've got a country that is, you know, is lovable in certain ways, I'd say, good, let's affirm the, the, the beauty and good in, in, in our nations. And absolutely the same in our families. But I think you've just named it right. It's when we get it out of order that we love it more than we love God. We trust it. We serve it more than we serve God. That's when we've crossed the line into idolatry and we may think we're the freest people in the world, but we have just become slaves all over again. Uh, Dave, I'm wondering if you'd be willing to close us in prayer and, and pray that we would be faithful to the one true God. I would. Let's pray together. Lord, you are the author and provider of all good things. You are the only one that we can trust. We can't even trust ourselves. God, you knit us together in our mother's wombs. You have had your eye on us every moment. You count every hair. You count every tear. God, you are the one that we can trust and you alone. And so God, I pray that our hearts would belong to you alone. God, expose to us the places where we have false idols. Expose to us the places where we have placed our trust in the wrong things. God, invite us to greater intimacy with you, that we may know you more, that we may love you better, we may experience you more fully. God, Please do this for your glory and honor and so that we may experience your goodness more fully as well. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. And I hope today you can experience uh, once again the invitation into a covenant relationship with the one true God. Go in peace.